0: If you have your Bibles read this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then we're going to move over to chapter 3 in just a moment here. But uh, as you find your way there, let's stand out of reverence to the reading of God's holy word this morning. Genesis 2, verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man, we're talking about Adam, and put him into the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree designed to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word, Father. We pray right now, Lord, that we hear your word this morning, Father, and understand, Lord the foundation, Father, of our faith, that we understand, Father, that we were created by you, made in your image, Father, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, Father, Lord, that you have a very specific purpose for our lives. We thank you, too, Lord, that you put man and woman together in marriage, Father. We thank you today, Lord, that we can understand, Father, evil, that we can understand sin, that we can understand the fallen nature of man, Father, and that we live in enemy territory today, Father, but, Lord, but by your power, through the son of Je- your Son of Jesus Christ, Father, that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Father, we thank you now for all these things. Speak to our hearts this morning, Father. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's interesting here that we see in Genesis 2 that God gave Adam and Eve everything. That God gave them this whole Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, listen very carefully, was perfect. There was no sin in the world yet. And he had one request. You can have all this that's in this garden except for one thing. This one tree right here in the middle of the garden. Do not eat from this tree. Well, you wonder why they couldn't do that. You know, they had all these things. Everything they could eat. Everything in there was theirs except for one thing. And they could not follow God's direction. We're talking this morning about temptation. We're talking about sin coming in and and entering into the human experience we're also talking about the fall of mankind do you know a lot of us don't really understand that we're in a war we're in a war right now in this world it's a spiritual war a war between good and evil a war between god and satan himself i want you to know as you ponder this thought though about being in a war with god and satan if god was a mountain satan's a mohel satan is no comparison to god but listen to this we are no comparison to satan without god we're sitting ducks, just like Adam and Eve. They were deceived. They were lied to. They were convinced to not follow the Word of God. It happens to you and I all the time. Too often it happens. Desires, uh, the devil desires to have his way with you and I, just like he did with Adam and Eve. His goal remains the same today as it was that very same day in that Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. To deceive us, to trap us, to ruin us, and to kill us. The Apostle Paul Peter declared this. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking to see who he can devour. I'm here to tell you, Satan is alive and well in this world today. All you need to do is look at the front page of your newspaper or watch the news on TV for 15 minutes. You'll see how Satan is overcoming so many things that used to be right and so many many things that used to be good. I want you to know this morning that Satan is crafty. He's ingenious. No matter how many pleasures Satan offers you and I, How he entices us, his ultimate intention through all those pleasures is to do what? It's to ruin you and I. The greatest danger that you and I are facing today. And a lot of times when we get a little nervous, we see some of these things, but the greatest thing that's facing us right now, the greatest danger facing you and I right now, it's not the threat of nuclear war, although that's serious. It's not the AIDS epidemic. It's not our national debt. It's not a cyber meltdown. It's not global warming. It's not racism, sexism, or even the NRA. The greatest danger facing you and I right now in this world today, every single day, listen very carefully, is the deceitfulness of sin. It's the deceitfulness of sin. The Apostle Paul wanted to encourage the church at Ephesus. And as you know, his desire for the church at Ephesus was to live in the riches of Christ. He wanted us to realize and understand to live in this world, it's going to be difficult. You need to be disciplined. You need to pay a price to live in the riches of Christ. You don't need to pay a price to have salvation. But once you have that salvation, there's a price and a discipline you and I need to live. He says this. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers in the dark, of, the, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the evil places. You and I need, and I'm thankful for God's holy word here this morning. I'm thankful for the book of Genesis that you and I need to understand what we're dealing with. What do we deal with? The first thing we need to understand is the enemy. I think most of you have done a little history. Maybe you've done some military history. But some of the greatest military commanders of all time have been the ones that have understood their enemy the best. They could almost predict what the enemy is going to do next because they knew him. They served alongside him and maybe in the military academy during the Civil War. They saw these guys. They read their books. They understood the person and his makeup. And it was part of their... Leadership as a general or as a leader of an army to understand the enemy. Why? So they could defeat the enemy as opposed to being defeated. You and I do not fully comprehend probably many times the enemy, his tactics, his strategies, his desire. It's interesting that I I, got kind of curious about this the other day when I was studying for this message, but I went on the Internet and I looked up satanic movies. I see them all the time as far as advertised. Amy and I have never been to one. No desire to go see it. Most of them are glorifying evil. Making it scary a little bit, but glorifying it. But over and over I saw on the internet list after list after list the top 20 satanic messages. The top 40, the top 50, the top 100 of all time satanic movies. It's interesting that our world today, unfortunately, seems to be obsessed with Satan. Obsessed obsessed with a darker cult. Obsessed, but they just don't know the power of that darkness. They don't know the power of Satan. They're living, too many of them destroyed lives because they enjoy this stuff, but they never take the time to understand Satan. Understand the evil one. Understand what evil is all about in this world. I want you to know here, because the Holy Bible tells us this, that Satan is real. It's not some fictitious Hollywood producer's idea here. Satan is a real entity. Satan is the enemy. Satan is dangerous. Genesis 3, we just saw here that Satan's called the serpent. He appears as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. In Revelation 12, we see him referred to as a dragon. In Revelation 20, where he is referred to both as a serpent and the dragon. Revelation 9 calls Satan Abaddon, it means a destroyer. Satan means adversary. The devil means slanderer. Jesus called Satan a murderer. He called him the father of lies. He called him the evil one, the prince of the world. Satan is no pushover. We wouldn't see these names and these labels about Satan in the Bible if Satan was a pushover. God wants us to understand how powerful Satan is. God has given you and I a tree in this world also to not live. He's given the outlines for our lives. He's given us commandments and rules and things to walk by. God desires to walk and he does it for our benefit. He's not doing it just to show us that he's in charge. He's doing it for yours my benefit. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden for a moment. God didn't have to tell Adam don't, don't eat from that tree. But he told them that. You ever wondered why he told them don't eat from that particular tree? Was there something wrong with it? Something bad with it? You know why he told them not to eat from that tree? He wanted them to exercise obedience. He wanted to see if he could trust them. He wanted to see if they would grow in their faith and just trust Him. Understand God has my welfare made out for me. God has my betterment and t- desire for me. God desires for me to grow in Him, to be what he's made me to be, fearful and wonderfully made, to live for the purpose He put me here, to reflect Him, to bring glory to Him. We don't bring glory to God when we get into the, uh, the Satan's ballpark. We don't get, bring glory to God when we join hands with Satan. Jesus says this about the devil in Luke chapter 10. Jesus had just sent out the disciples and now they'd return. He sent out 70 of them. Scripture says this in Luke 10. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, "Lord, even the de- even the demons are subject to us in your name." And he said to them, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." Jesus said, "I give you authority to, to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, but nothing shall by any means hurt you." Jesus Christ is telling his apostles here, his disciples, Satan is real, the enemy is real, demons are real. But I've given you authority over all those things because of my authority. God wants us to know that Satan does not have to have dominion in our life. That sin does not have to have dominion in our life. I think we could all sit here for a few minutes this morning and ponder the idea of sin in our life and realize that I've been there before. We all sin. The Bible tells us we all sin and fall short of God's glory. The Bible also tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of life, of everlasting life is through Jesus Christ God gives us that as well we have an incredible opportunity to live a life for God's glory it's hard though it's hard though because the world is very very seductive it really is and Satan uses the world to his advantage I want you to know this though that Satan hasn't always been around Satan was an angel at one point, and he was a created being. He is a created being. God created him. He's limited. He's cursed. But I want you to know this, too. As, as followers of Jesus Christ, Satan has been defeated. He was defeated upon the cross of Christ. But you know what? Even though Satan's defeated, he doesn't believe it, and he doesn't act like it. He was still walking around, like I just mentioned, like that roaring lion, waiting to see who he can destroy and devour. It reminds me of my father who served in the Philippine Islands during World War II. He was there when the war ended. And you may know this, but they allowed our American soldiers to come home based on points. If you're married, you've got a few points. If how long you've been over there, you got more points. My dad was been over there for a while, but he wasn't married, bachelor, so they kept those guys longer just to kind of for the occupation purposes. He's in the Philippine Islands. But Weeks and months after the war was over, he found out it was over one night at a movie they were playing there for all the uh, naval officers there. But weeks and months after that, they were still finding Japanese, attacking different little outbases, little posts there in the Philippine Islands. The last Japanese soldier, they say, found out 25 years after the war was declared over on one of those little deserted Pacific Islands. Just never heard. Well, Satan doesn't realize he's been defeated. The victory has already been won. You know, Satan has a very deliberate strategy. There's a battle going on in this world for our life. Satan wants our life, just like Jesus Christ does. It's a two-fold attack. Satan's battlefield is our mind. His objective is our heart. Satan is going to, he can't read our mind, but he's going to put things in our path. He realizes who we are by the way we carry ourselves, by the things we do. He realizes our weaknesses because he's watching us. He's seeing what we're doing. Temptation is Satan's weapon of choice. He wants to tempt us. When you and I surrender to temptation, think about this. Your thoughts become deeds. Then what happens is your deeds become your habits. And when your habits become, then your habits become a stronghold of sin in your life. Your thoughts become deeds, your deeds become habits, and then your habits become a stronghold in your life. I want you to think about this for just a second. Satan's strategy here. Satan's strategy, first and foremost, is to entice us. He wants to put thoughts in our mind. He wants to let us see things. and you know Satan's a very, very good enticer. And as we get enticed, the next Satan move, move that Satan makes is to ensnare us into that sin. And then he enslaves us. We're going to look at exactly how it happened here to Eve and then ultimately to Adam. But there's a process to temptation. The process here is what I just said there's an enticement, there's an ensnarement, and then there's an enslavement. And it all leads to our destruction. Satan disguised himself. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 in chapter 3, we just read a minute ago. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field. You know, think about this God created the serpent. He said it was good. The serpent, the serpent approached Eve. She wasn't afraid. She didn't realize that the devil had kind of assumed that, that position and that uh, personality. She wasn't afraid. It was one of God's precious creations. I want you to understand this about the devil. Satan is still a great impersonator. Satan is still going to use other things and other people and objects to entice us. Come off. We see next happening next here is that uh, Satan got Adam and got Eve to question God's word. Remember what? Remember what Satan told? Remember what God told Adam? He said, you can eat everything in this garden here except one thing. Well, when Satan comes along, he twists the words around. He says, "Has God truly said to you?" You shall not eat anything in the garden. No, that's not what he said. You know, he told Eve the question in the negative here. Did God really say you can't have anything in this? There's something you can't eat in this garden here? You cannot eat every tree in the garden? No, that's not what he said. He says I can't eat every tree in the garden, except for one. So Satan here is changing God's word. He's changing it around I've seen it over the times, too, where you can talk to anybody about anything they're doing in their life, and if they have a Bible and they want to pull the Bible out, they can probably find a verse someplace in the Bible that might, out of context, support their thoughts. I've seen people living an alternative lifestyle in this world. Use the Bible to support their alternative lifestyle. It's not in there. You can take a couple words out of the Bible and twist it around. That's what Satan was doing here. Satan made Eve question God's Word. And then Eve also changed the words here. Think about what Eve said. The woman said to the servant, You may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. God said, never you could, He never said you couldn't touch it. But then she also said, Lest you die. No, that's not what God said. He didn't say, Lest you die. That kind of means maybe you'll die. God said, Surely you'll die. If you eat of this tree, you're going to die, Period. God was serious. It's why it's so important for you and I to understand God's Word. Get into God's Word in such a way as we know what it says here. It says what it means. I may not want to believe it, but this is what God said. This is what He meant. God created the earth in six days. He said it. I believe it. Well, then after God makes you question God's Word, he, after Satan questions His Word, Satan denies the Word. Look at verse five First 4 there. Says this, and the servant said to the woman, You shall not surely die. You're not going to die. Eve said, Maybe you'll die. He says, You're not going to die. I'm sure. Bank on it. And then Satan questions God's motives. Verse 5 says this For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know why? Lucifer and Satan got kicked out of heaven? He thought he was like God. He wanted to be above God. It tells us that both in Isaiah and also Ezekiel. He wanted to be above God. He rebelled against God. What's he wanting Eve to do right here? Same thing. That's his motive. I want you to know this morning that Satan has not changed his tactics or his strategy. Satan still disguises himself. Satan still wants us to question God's word. Did God really mean this? You know one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible? The world questions and kind of attacks us as Christians. It says this. John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Did he really mean that? Does that really mean that all the gods aren't good? Does that really mean that I can't believe in universalism and believe that any god is good enough? You know, what about all these other faiths out there? Really, they're not going to go to heaven, they're going to live in hell forever because I didn't say it. God said it. It's God's truth. But do I really believe that? Do I stand on God's truth? Do I understand all God's promises? Do I stand in such a way as I point people to God's word? That I point people to God? Satan wants us to believe that the enticement that he's using is going to benefit us and not hurt us. I'm here to tell you if it's coming from Satan, coming from one of his demons, it's from the pit of hell. And no matter what, what that enticement looks like, no matter how appetizing it looks like, it's ultimately going to lead to destruction. It's, also going to, it's ultimately going to lead to you and I being harmed in some way. We need to understand the power of sin. We don't understand the power of the Satan himself. We don't understand how powerful he is. We don't understand how easy it is for our life to get off course. I've seen over and over as a pastor in this church, pastor in my last church, men that were walking with God take their eyes off of God for just a few moments. All of a sudden, Satan's right there. When we're not moving forward for God, we make it an easy target. Why? Because we're slacking in our relationship with God. We've moved to come far away from God. We've moved away from Him. Then comes the tragedy here. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. You know one of our biggest problems for today? One of the biggest problems we have living in this world. It can all be summarized by a very simple statement. You may have heard this before, maybe used it before. Can you guess what this statement might be? That ends up being one of our problems and one of our difficulties with temptation. How about this? Well, no one's perfect. Well, no one's perfect. Have you ever used that statement or heard it used to kind of justify wrong behavior or making a mistake or going in the wrong direction? Well, nobody's perfect. What are we comparing ourselves to? Somebody down here. There is a perfect person. It's God, the three in one God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Think about some of these rational, rationalizations. You may have heard some of these before. God wants me to be happy. So, what's the big deal? Everybody sins. So, I'm going to sin too. I came from a family of alcoholics. God understands. I was hurt incredibly. You just don't understand. Nobody's perfect. Adrian Rogers, a great pastor from Tennessee, said this. He said, think of a life as a hundred acre farm. You have a hundred acres out there. Along comes the enemy. Along comes the devil. He wants just one acre of your property. So you say, well, What what could one acre mean to me? I I can do this over here. It's not going to really affect my life. It's not going to change anything. So you give that one acre of your life to Satan. That one little thing that you say is not going to really hurt you. not going to be that bad. Well, the devil gets that one acre, but what acre does he want? He wants the acre in your property right in the middle of those hundred acres. Why? Because every time he goes into his acre, he's going through the rest of your property. You want everywhere else sir. And so as that one acre is out there in the middle of your property, you have given them access to everything. I'm here to tell you, and I've shared this before too, if I were to go home today and make you a big batch of brownies because I love you and I do love you, said so I want to give you this gift. But I told you, hey, I have a very special recipe. It's a family secret for years and years. And I put all these ingredients together and mix them all up and I, I let it sit for a long time. But There's a one special ingredient I take one teaspoon, just a small little teaspoon here, and I go out in the yard and I find a little animal poo-poo and put it in your brownies, stir it in your brownies. Here's a plate of brownies. Would you like some? Well, oh, no, thank you. Listen, when we give any place at all to Satan in our life, that's what we're doing. We're allowing him to come into our life and change everything. You understand the image I just gave you of the brownies. Well, it's the same in our life. Why would we want Satan to have a teaspoon of our life? Why would we want him to have one acre of a hundred acre plot? And yet we do it. We allow Satan to sneak in. And I'm here to tell you, Satan never shows up with a pitchfork and a red cape and red horns coming out of his head. He shows up looking like a beautiful woman or a handsome man or something you really want. Something that's going to take you away from God Almighty. Something that's going to put distance between you and God. I want to share this last thought this morning. You know, Adam and Eve were found out. They realized immediately that they'd sinned because why? Because they went and hid in the bushes. The scripture tells us in verse 8 that God came looking for them. They heard him rustling in the bushes. They ran and hid. The Lord called out to them, Adam, where are you? You know, Adam knew exactly. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were hiding. God called out to Adam and Eve because he wanted to give them a chance. He wanted to give them a chance to face the facts. He wanted to give them a chance to be honest. He wanted to give them a chance to confess their sins. You know, when Adam and Eve realized what they'd done, they realized what they'd done, the scripture tells us, they immediately realized they were naked. They realized their humanness. They no longer saw each other from God's eyes. They saw each other from mankind's eyes, from finite eyes. They realized they'd sinned. You know what Adam and Eve should have done as soon as they realized they'd sinned? They should have ran to God Almighty and confessed their sins. They should have realized and been honest to Him. Not only were they not honest, but they decided to play the third-person liability game with them. It says this, when God called to them, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Well, that's another admission of Adam's behalf. I was afraid. Why? Because I sinned. I broke the rule. I fell short of the mark he gave me. I separated myself from you, God. He was afraid. And so then God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you shall not eat? Adam realized I'm caught. I am. Adam being the genius that he was, you know what he said? He said, the woman who gave it to me, she made me eat it. But before he said the woman did, he said, God, the woman you gave me. So Adam's sitting there eating this this apple saying, God, it's your fault because you gave me Eve and she's the one that gave me the apple. He looks at Eve and asks the same thing. He blamed the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate it. I love this quote by Billy Sunday, a great theologian from the last century. He said, can't find, Sinners cannot find God for the same reason that criminals can't find police. Sinners can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find police. Why? Because they're not looking. They're not looking. When we realize that we've sinned, when we realize that we've fallen short of God, of His standards, we've fallen short of His glory, the first thing we should do is get to God as fast as we can and confess and realize, God, I've sinned. I've fallen short. Please forgive me. Well, so what about all this stuff? So what understanding who the devil is? So what understanding his tactics? We're never going to have the life that God intends for us to have as long as we are prey for the enemy, as long as we're an easy target for the enemy. God has given us, read Romans 6. In fact, I've shared that with people that are struggling with an addiction or, or hurt or pain or something that's destroying their life. That God has this incredible life for him. That sin no longer has dominion over our life because of the power and blood of Jesus Christ. It says that just as Jesus Christ was dead and buried, we've been raised in Baptist to live in a newness of life. God says that he's made us a new creation. I love this. The miracle of Jesus Christ is a transformed life. We saw it in the movie this last week. We see it in people's lives around here. Or heard about it from this women's conference this last weekend. The miracle of Jesus Christ is a transformed life. Has my life been transformed? Am I a new person? This comes out of 2 Corinthians. Paul wanted to encourage the Corinthian church that needed incredible rebuking, but also incredible encouragement. He says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He's talking about sanctification here. He's telling us that we've been set apart. And God wants to transform our lives that we can bring more and more and more glory to him every single day. The greatest witness we have in this world is our own personal testimony. How I live above this world. How I live above my affection set on God Almighty. How I can have this life down here that's a brand new creation. That I can live this life for his glory. The spirit of God wants to transform you and I. Paul said if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation.